0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Mirable, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning again. It's so good to see you guys here today uh, as we start a brand new sermon series entitled 10. And the reason why we are calling it 10, obviously, is because we are 10 years old. And so as a church plant, uh, 10 is a really significant number. According to the North American Mission Board, uh, they teach us that 33% of all church plants They will not survive after the fourth year. And of those churches that do last uh, past that fourth year, their average attendance is 80 people. So when we look around and we examine the work that God has done at Foothills Church over the last 10 years, it is safe to say That God has uniquely blessed this church. And so um, when we look at how God has blessed, when we see the thousands of lives that have been changed, when we see the growth, when we see what God continues to do in this midst, it is a miracle of God. And so, yeah, let's just praise God for 10 years. A decade of discipleship. And so we're going to celebrate that over the next few weeks together. And You know, this is a a time of year that that typically I really enjoy because it's March Madness and uh, I love to fill out uh, the bracket, I love to watch college basketball. For those of you who uh, have no idea what that is, I'm sorry that you li- live a depraved life, and uh, you you haven't found the joy in March Madness, but March Madness is the 68 uh, best teams, college basketball teams in the country, uh, come together for one huge tournament, and it is the joy of my life every year, and I pick the uh, I pick, you know, all my winners. My family has a pool. Our staff has a pool. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a pool with my, with my in-laws and my wife's family. And uh, so far, doing pretty well. Just in case you're wondering, um, always, 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 you know, choose some upsets, which is always fun. There's always that 12-5 upset. So proud to say, yeah, I did pick Murray State to beat Marquette. Anybody else pick that one? Yeah. So oh, I guess I'm not that unique. Way to go. You guys did awesome. <laughs> Uh, But uh, I love this time of year. And you know what's great about this tournament is that anybody can beat anybody. You know, it's it's David versus Goliath, these smaller Division I schools playing these large schools, you know, and, and there's always upsets and it's fun. And what's great is out of all 68 teams, there are different coaches, different backgrounds, different cities, different people from all over the country, different game plans, different talents, different skills, all of these differences amongst all 68 of these teams. And you know what? they all have at least one thing in common. And the one thing that they have in common is that they want to win. Yeah, they want to win. And in basketball, it's pretty simple. How do you beat the other team? How do you win? Well, you simply have to get more balls through the hoop than the other team. (laughs) So you have to be able to, 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 to score more points than the other team, and so then you can win, and then you're able to, you know, beat the other team. It's pretty simple. Now, when it comes to church life, what's the win? What's the win for a church? How do we know that what we're doing here on Sunday morning is acceptable to God? How do we know that what we do as a church is, is actually pleasing to Him? Is it doing any good? I mean, how do we know what is the win for a church? And what's great is that Jesus actually makes it really clear Uh, what the win is. And we find it in the gospel, in Matthew chapter 19. And in the gospel of Matthew chapter 28, excuse me, verse 19, Jesus gives us what we call the great commission. And he says, "'Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end.'" of the age. Four verbs here that we want to identify and recognize. Go. The Greek word, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. The Greek word for go means as you are going. So as you live your life, as you go to church, make disciples, as you go to work, make disciples, as you go to Kroger's, make disciples, as you get gasket, you know, you're, you're making disciples, you're, you're, you're going. And as you go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So this is what it this is the win uh, as a church. So let's let's break it down. What is a church supposed to do? What what are we supposed to do as a church? And so very clearly from this text if you if you go to number 1, a church is a place where God's word is rightly taught. So you want to go and be a part of a church where they're actually teaching the word of God. Um, everybody wants to be encouraged and, and uh, motivated and feel good about themselves, and, and that's all well and good. But when it comes to church, like you want to hear what God has to say. Does anybody care about that? Does anybody care about that? Yeah. yeah. We, want to, we want to be a little bit more excited about that. So we want to be a part of a church where the Word of God is rightly taught. Secondly, We want to be a place where the ordinance are are rightly practiced. Ordinances or commands, there are two of them that that Jesus gives to us, and it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. So he tells us to observe uh, baptism, and he tells us to uh, observe the Lord's Supper. And so we do that. Number three, it's a place where disciples are made. He says, go and make disciples. So it's a place where disciples are made. And fourthly, it's a place where disciples are sent. And so as you go make disciples teach and baptize. Right? And so this is what it looks like to be a church. Now in the Bible the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia. And so it actually isn't a religious word at all. Remember, the New Testament authors are writing in Greek and they're using words that today are very religious to us. Baptism is religious, but it back then it just meant simply dunk or being submerged. And so now it's a religious word, um, but the word church is the word ecclesia, and it simply means a gathering or a, an assembly of people. And so it's clear in the New Testament when Jesus says, you know, he's going to build his church, what he's saying is, I'm not going to build buildings. A church is not a place that we go to. Church is something that we are a part of. So we are a congregation, a group a group of people together on mission for something extremely important. Jesus makes a prediction in Matthew chapter 16 to Peter. He asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus makes a prediction, and he says this in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the prediction that Jesus makes is that I will build my church. So if if we are going making disciples, baptizing and teaching, the prediction and the promise and the vision that Jesus says if you do that, I will build my church. And so essentially, as I go and make disciples, more people hear the gospel, more people come to faith in Christ, which means they begin to grow in their faith, which means they begin to go and tell, which means that more people begin to hear the gospel. And you see how the domino effects and how it spreads. And this is the hope and and this is the vision and this is the prediction that Jesus makes. So Jesus tells us what we're supposed to do. And he tells us that if we follow his plan, he's gonna grow us. So how does uh, Foothills Church, or how is a church, supposed to accomplish this great commission? And at this point, I can tell you where I think a lot of churches get it wrong. Uh, but the point of this series, the goal for me, uh, today and over the next couple of weeks, is to teach you how we do it here at Foothills Church, how we develop disciples here at FC. And and as I share with you, we're going to celebrate the fact that after 10 years, I can say that I believe God is blessing it. Like it actually works. We didn't know it was going to work in the very beginning. What's interesting about this church, and some of you don't know this, but when we first started that first year, there were many conversations that we thought that we might just have to shut the doors. Like it was so hard and difficult that we thought maybe it's just not going to work. I remember my dad came to me and said, hey, Trent, he was the pastor at Grace uh, in Knoxville. And he said, Trent, would you like to plant a church in Maryville? And I said, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, well, we're going to Maryville. We're going to plant a church. And I'd love for you to be a part of it. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. And so... The, the, the staff there all was a part of this, this team that began to develop this church. And, and uh, the first few months, they were sending a, a video teaching of dad teaching on Sunday morning, and we met in a local school. And, and uh, it became clear to me after a few months that God was calling me to lead this place, that God was calling me and urging me to be a part of this. And so by faith, we stepped out and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to lead, and, and uh, after a few months, I began to teach, and that's when we began to develop what we call the journey. The journey starting with base camp, and then uh, camp two, and camp three, and began to train small group leaders and start small groups in uh, the community. And God began to bless, and God began to grow, and he gave us the building next door. And as we moved into that building by faith, God sent more people. And as we taught rightly, and we baptized, and we made disciples uh, God just blessed. And um, man, I, I, it's, it's, it's awesome that after 10 years, we can look around and see now you know, 2,000 people who gather every single week. But after 10 years, what I'm about to share with you today and for the next couple of weeks, if you will engage, if you will get serious about your faith, if you will join us, it will change your life. But it will not only change your life. In fact, it will change the lives of of the people you love. We've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times. We've, we've seen just in the last five years, 178% growth in our church. We saw 164 people get baptized last year. We've seen record numbers of people, over 500 people in small groups this year. God is doing a unique work here. So, okay, how do we accomplish the Great Commission? I mean, that's the question. I I know that's a question that I'm excited about, and many of you are, but I know there are some people in the room who you're probably not so excited about that question because I mean, if you were honest, you would say, dude, I don't care how you do that. Like my I'm I'm hurting today. Maybe you're a new believer, maybe you're not a believer, maybe this is your first time here, and you're like, man, I came here to be encouraged today. I didn't, really, I didn't really come to hear how you make disciples, Trent, at, at this church. I don't even really know what that means. Man, I want you to just kind of pump the brakes for a second because that's a valid response. Like I realize some of you don't really care about that. But at the end of the message, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to show you why. So just, just hang with me for a minute. Our vision statement here at Fiddle's Church from the very beginning is that our desire is that we would develop mature disciples of Christ and relational environments. And so how we actually accomplish that vision is our strategy. And uh, that's what we want to begin to unpack here today. We, we wanted to keep it simple, so we use three words to keep it super simple. I'm a simple guy. And the words are share, connect, and equip. And so we want to share the love of God. We want to connect to the people of God. And we want to equip for the mission of God. Today, I want to focus on number one, how do we as a church, and how do we equip you as the the, the congregation that gathers as Foothills Church, how do we share the love of God? Well, for that, let's turn to Matthew 4, verse 19. In fact, it's going to be on the screen. And here's what Jesus says. This is a famous verse. You guys know this. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now to the early disciples, that probably confused them. That probably kind of blew their mind and they probably didn't quite understand what it meant. And for many of us, it blows our mind as well. It looks a little weird. It makes us feel a little uncomfortable because we would would think that if we're gonna follow the, the son of God, that if we followed him, he would make us rich. If we followed him, he would make us happy. Like if we followed him, there are a million things that I would fill in the blank. And the last thing I would say is, make me a fisher of men. Right? Because that doesn't quite make sense to us. But that's the journey that every single one of us are on. He says, I will make you, which means he's developing you. He's growing you. We call this process discipleship. That's like the church word. We're in a growth process. We call it discipleship, and every single one of us in the room today are in that process. And listen, we are never going to get to a conclusion of that process. There's never going to be a day that that shows up and you're like, sweet, I finally made it. I reached the pinnacle, and now I'm done. Thank you very much, Jesus. That's never going to happen. You're always going to be in the midst of of growth. I'm sure this freaked out the disciples. It freaks some of us out, makes us uncomfortable. We don't want uh, to, under we don't, we don't necessarily understand it. We don't want to become this sometimes, but this is the journey that, that the Lord has us on. Uh, we said this early in our uh, church life. We would say this statement over and over again. We would say, we don't want people to come to church. We want people to be the church. So that whole mindset of you know gathering here is awesome and we're gonna do that because this is a big part of what growth and fellowship and, 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 and what it means to be a church. But we have this mindset that we don't come to church, we are the church. So we want you to be the church as you leave. We want you to make disciples. We want you to become a fisher of men. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. He says, I want you to let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, by seeing your good deeds, by letting your light shine, people will come to faith. They will praise God. Their life will be changed because you simply allowed your light to shine, and you were allowed. You, you God, enabled you to do good deeds that they witness. So, if we're going to be a church that shares the love of God, here's what you've got to be willing to do. Here's what we as a church are asking you to do. If you're taking notes, number one, you've got to be willing to share your life. Pretty simple, right? You've got to be willing to share your life. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he spent his life with 12 guys essentially, Yeah, he taught large groups and he was a part of big crowds, but he always got away with those 12 guys. And he ate with them and he hung out with them and he did life with them. Listen, we believe that in order to share God's love, you have to be willing to be in a relationship with people. You can't share God's love by hiding in the walls of the church. You can't share God's love by hiding in the walls of your home. You actually have to share your life with others. Now, how do you share your life with other people? A couple of statements. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to observe people's pain. Observe people's pain. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. There's a man who is sitting by this pool because the superstition was that if you got into the pool first, you would be healed. And it was some kind of natural spring, and so it would bubble up from time to time. And so people would hang out beside this pool if they were crippled or lame, and and, and they needed healing if they were sick. And they would struggle and race to get into the pool first. So that's the setting for what Jesus walks into. By the way, I've actually seen this. They've excavated this right inside the walls of Jerusalem, where they believe this uh, pool was actually at. Here's what it says. Uh, Verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he's walking into the city gates. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years, this guy was crippled. And he sat by this pool, hoping that he would get healed. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus knew he'd been there for 38 years, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. It's a fascinating scripture. Jesus teaches us a lot. The first thing that we want to recognize is that there were many people around this pool, but Jesus observed the pain of one man who for 38 years had had been suffering from whatever disease, sickness he had been suffering with, Jesus could have healed everybody in that place. But he didn't. He chose that man. He observed that person's needs, that man's pain. Listen, God is not asking you to save everybody in the world. He's not asking you to lead everybody on your basketball team to Christ. He's not asking you to lead everybody in your office to, to, to come to Christ. But I do believe that there are people in and on your team, and in and on your staff, who Jesus wants you to observe their pain, and he wants you to actually help them. So Jesus extends this question to him. Do you want to be healed? What a great question. Like, <laughs> the guy's like, absolutely. But then what does he say? Yeah, I do, but I can't get in the water. What's happening here? He's, he's focused on the wrong solution, just like many of your friends, just like many of us right? We think that the promotion is going to make us actually feel better about ourselves. We think that if we can actually get to the six-figure salary, then we're going to feel like we have arrived. We think that, man, if, if I could just date this girl, some, some high school girls in the room think, if I could just date this guy, then I'm going to feel valuable. Then I'm going to feel loved. But the reality is the only solution to any need in your heart today is Jesus. Stop trying to climb into the pool to to get something fixed or to get something healed or to change something in your life and focus on the man, Jesus. So we've got to observe people's pains. Now, how do we do that? How do we know if somebody is in pain today? How do we know if somebody is hurting? It's really easy. Are you ready for this? Here's how you know if somebody is hurting. Are they alive? (laughs) Are they alive? Because every single person in this room is hurting on some level today. Maybe everything is great in your life and, and there's not something immediately that's happening, but there has been something in your past that when that memory is sparked in your mind and you think about that event, the pain comes back. There are, in fact, many people who are experiencing some type of issue today. It's a relationship issue. Somebody's sick in your life. You're going through some kind of depression. You feel alone. The, 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 you know, the, the pain is endless. So we're all experiencing this. And so what we have to do is begin to train our mind as followers of Jesus, as someone who wants to share our life with people, we've got to observe their pain. And so we've got to listen to what they say. When somebody is hurting, they're gonna complain about their job. They're gonna complain about their spouse. They're upset about their kids. It doesn't take people long. In the first couple of minutes of a conversation, they will share some level of pain or some level of frustration in their life. We want to begin to train ourselves to observe that and to understand that. And then what do we do? What do we do when we hear someone is going through a situation? We want to, if you're taking notes, secondly, we want to extend compassion. Extend compassion. How do we do that? We look at the life of Jesus. What does he do? He heals the man, right? He steps into that man's life and he actually does something about it right then and right there. Here's, here's, here's where I want to go now. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus shows us how as a church, we extend compassion. How do we get compassion into the city? How do we get compassion into the lives of our small group ministries? How do we do this? Jesus makes it clear. He says this in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So he's traveling in all these different places. He's teaching in their synagogues and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, what what did he do? He had compassion for them because they were harassed and because they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, some translations translate that word as workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, laborers, into his harvest. What is Jesus's solution here? He says, all right, he has compassion on them because they are harassed and because they are helpless. Now, let's focus on those words for a minute. The word harassed can be translated or can be interpreted as worried, as troubled, or as distracted. Think about that. Anybody harassed at work, anybody that you work with, Do they have any worries? Do they have any troubles? Any distractions? Anybody at school in your your class and homeroom who has some worries, who's troubled? I think so. What about helpless? The word helpless just simply means they're unable to defend themselves. So anybody at school that gets picked on because they're different? Anybody at work a little bit different and so people tend to push them around? Any unborn babies in America who are helpless and dying by the millions? I believe so. Jesus would call us to extend compassion to those who are harassed and those who are helpless. And what is his solution? What is his answer to actually do this as a church? How do we extend compassion? And here's here's a revelation for us. What does he ask us to do? He says, we need more workers. We need more laborers. We need more people who will stop pretending to be a Christian, and they'll walk out the doors of this building, and they will actually be the church. They will actually extend compassion. They'll actually share their life. They'll actually observe pain around them, and they will do something about it. Remember, in the Great Commission, the word go means as you Go. So everybody in this room should consider going overseas, moving their family to go make disciples and to plant churches and to go on the mission field somewhere. Everybody should consider that. Everybody can, should consider going into full-time ministry. Right? We should assume that God is telling us to go do these things. Instead, we flip it, don't we? And we say, well, I haven't really felt God is telling me to go. So I'm not. We should assume that God is telling us to go until he says, no, that's not for you. And then after we go through that process and we find our career and we find our niche, then we should start recognizing that I am a missionary right here, right now because I work in this company or I work in this school system and I work over here. Because as I go to work, as I go to school, as I go to the grocery store, my mindset is that I'm going to observe needs And I'm going to extend compassion because I am a worker. I am a laborer. Jesus says the harvest field is plentiful. In other words, there are many hurting people out there. And that if you would just share your life with them, they would come to faith. If you would just take a minute to share your life with them, they would not only come to faith, but they would come to church and they would help us transform other lives as well. The harvest is plentiful. We need more workers. The question is, are you willing to be a worker? Are you willing to be this kind of person that extends compassion, observes pain, and shares your life? Are you willing to invite people over to your house who are far from God and share a meal with them? Are you willing to let their kids play with your kids? Are you willing to to go to ball games together with them? Are you willing to go watch their kids play sports and, and develop a relationship with them? Are you willing to invite them out to dinner and just hang out with them? Are you willing to invest your life, share your life with people who are far from God? Jesus says we need more workers. And, and in fact, that is his solution to any problem that we have in the church. Read the pages of the of the Gospels and you'll see this is the one solution. Like We need more workers. We need you to step up. We need you to, to understand that this isn't like what pastors do. This is what followers of Jesus do. So listen, we're in a spiritual battle, and Satan wants to keep people spiritually blind. He wants to keep them distracted, harassed, and he wants them to trust in their own way of, of fixing their problem. For, the, for this, this man, he wanted to get in the pool. For people that you work with, it's make more money, it's do drugs, it's have a lot of sex, it's make whatever, we fill in the blank. So how can you help practically? How do we do this? Well, we share our life, right? And, and, and as we share our life, there's two words that we like to use to help you kind of put some teeth to this. And, and it's two words, invest and invite. Invest and invite. So we want you guys to invest your life. We want you to invest time and energy into relationships with people who are far from God. And by investing your life into them and genuinely caring about them, you have opportunities to invite them to church. You have opportunities to invite them to, hey, we're doing a brand new sermon series. You have an opportunity to invite them, hey, Easter's four weeks away. You got to come to church with me. And what's great about this is that statistics actually show that people want to be invited. People are actually open, open to faith conversations In fact, George Barna's research says that 62% of non-Christians say they would talk about faith with someone who listens without judgment. So six out of 10 non-Christians would like to talk to you about faith if you would stop being judgmental. Another statistic from Tom Rainer in his book, The Church Next Door, The Unchurched Next Door, he says that 82% of unchurched People would actually attend church if someone invited them. Eight out of ten were always worried oh, they may say no or I'm going to feel awkward. Eight out of ten will say yes. The flip side of his research showed that only 2% of church members actually invite anyone to church. Hey, not here, right? That's not us, is it? Like, we want to be a culture and a church that invites people all the time. Like, there's always empty space here. Like, we always want more people to experience the gospel, so we want to invest and invite. And can I just just encourage you to use social media to do this? Stop taking so many selfies. Like, seriously. Think about this. Single ladies in the room for a minute, what if I, uh, what if I asked you, what are the top few things that you're looking for in the perfect guy? Can you guys just interact with me and say a few words? Anybody? Just, what are you looking for in a guy? Godly? You're killing me up here. I'm sorry? Integrity? Hardworking? Compassion? Okay, those are all great. Let's just say that Prince Charming shows up, hardworking, compassionate, godly man, good looking. You didn't say that, but I know you're thinking it. <laughs> Everybody's being super spiritual today. That's all right. So, so Prince Charming walks up to you, and he 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 wants you to be his woman, right? I don't know what they call it. What do they call it? Are they going with you? Is it still going with you? Are We going together? Are we dating, or we're friends, or I don't know what they call it now, but you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, be steady. I don't know. You're gonna be like committed, <laughs> right? You're making the jump. You're making the jump. Will you, you will you be my boyfriend or girlfriend? That's kind of, that's kind of what we're doing here. All right. So he asks you that, and he's like, "Look, I want you to be my girl, but here's the one thing. Like when we go out on a date, like we need to drive separate. And like when we get there, like we can't." talk to each other in public. And and like when we're together, like we can't hold hands in public, right? If you're cool with that, then then let's, let's go ahead and make this official. Would you make that official with homeboy? No way. Like something's up, something's weird with this guy, right? Something's going on a lot deeper, deep issues, baggage, right? Let me ask you a question. Why do so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus, show up on Sunday and want to hold hands. Then they walk out these doors and they pretend that he doesn't exist. Why does your social media feed only feed your ego and it doesn't feed the lost sheep of Jesus? Why is it that you're so self-centered that you've not considered those who you're friends with, even close friends with, you've not considered their spiritual eternity. Can we just ask the Spirit of God today to change our hearts, to flip the switch in our mind, to get us outside of our own stuff? And yeah, we're all dealing with, with, with things, but there are people who are broken and, and, and hurting. And we have the truth. We have the gospel We want to use this invitation, invite people to church, use social media to invite people to church. And here's another practical way that we call care through prayer. Now, how many times has someone shared with you, you know, a situation that they're going through, my marriage is struggling and, and, uh, or somebody's sick in my family, and what do we say? Oh man, I'm sorry, I'll be praying for you. Well, nine out of 10 of us, let's be honest, we never pray for that person. We totally forget about him as soon as we walk away. So, why can't we do something a little bit deeper and a little bit more impactful and in that moment actually say, Man, I'm sorry you're going through this. Can I, can I pray with you right now? Put your hand on their shoulder and offer a prayer for 30, 40, 60 seconds. Don't make it the 20 minute, oh God, get the, no, don't do that. Just put your hand on their shoulder and just lift them up in prayer. You know, I've asked hundreds of people that over the course of the last several years, and I've never had anybody say, no, thanks. I don't want you to pray for me. Never happened. What would it look like if everybody in here had a care-through prayer moment this week? You heard about a need. You heard someone sharing. You just said, you know what? Can I pray with you? Five-second, ten-second prayer. I want you to know I'm thinking about you. Have a good day. You think that would change some lives? You think that would make an impact practically? Absolutely it would. Here's another practical way that we want you to share your life with people. We want you to pay it backward. Pay it backward. What does that mean? Over the course of uh, our church's life, we've done this several times, but, but pay it backwards means if you go to the drive through window, you're buying some food or you're getting some coffee, not only will you pay for yours, but you will tell that person in the window, I'm gonna take care of the bill of the car behind me as well. And today, we actually have a card that we want you to to have. Take as many as you would like, and when you offer to pay for that, just say, would you give this card to that person? It just simply says, you belong here. Sunday's 9-11, Foothills Church. Just a practical way for you to share your life with someone, for you to share the love of God and just bless them, and you don't know know how much it's going to be. It's not like you're in the window going, all right, so how much is the person's? What are we talking here? 15? We got on 20? All right. No, we just say, you know what? I'm going to bless the people, you know, in the car behind me. I don't know who they are. Would you give them this card? We call that pay it backward. We want to encourage you guys to do that this week. You've got to be willing to share your life. But secondly, if you're taking notes, you've got to be willing to share your story. You've got to be willing to share your story. We're not going to turn there, but in John chapter 9, there's a great story. There's a there's a guy who was born blind, and there's a great theological question that they wrestle with. And, and uh, Jesus comes to this guy, and he spits in the mud, or he spits in the dirt, mixes his spit with the dirt, and then he wipes it on the blind man's eyes. Don't ask me why. But that's what he does. And then he goes, he tells the guy to go to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes. When the man does, he becomes, he, he, he gets a sight. The, the blind man is healed, and he now has sight. So he starts you know, hanging out, he'd been born blind. So he was been begging and blind his whole life. And then people start seeing him looking different, acting different, talking different. He can see. And they're like, hey, aren't you, the, aren't you the blind guy that was always by the, yeah, that was me. How did that happen? This guy named Jesus. Jesus came, put mud in my eyes, bada bing, bada boom, I can see, right? And it's like, no, that can't happen. And so they take him to the religious leaders and the religious leaders, they question him and say, how can you see? And he tells the same story. He's like, this guy, Jesus, he healed me. He's like, he's a sinner. He can't do that. And the guy says, look, here's what I know. Here's what he says in John chapter nine, verse 25. He answers, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. That is the power of your story. Nobody can argue with the power of God in your life. No one can argue with your story. And so we as a church, we've got to begin to use our story to help connect the gospel and to help connect with the needs and hurts of other people in this community. So challenge for you today is to go home and write your story down. And you you write your story down by answering three questions. Would you guys write this down for me? Write this down and do it. Type it in your phone, whatever it is. Three easy questions for you to come up with your story. Number one, my life before Christ. And so in a few sentences, or maybe it's 10 pages, I don't know what it's going to be like for you, but talk about your life before Christ, how you were hopeless, how you didn't have purpose, how you were broken. Second question you ask is how you met Christ. How did you meet Jesus? And so you talk about the day you heard the gospel and the day that it finally clicked and the day that someone finally shared it with you in a way that it made sense and you gave your life to Christ, you turned from your sins, you explain that moment. And then thirdly, my life since Christ. And you talk about how, hey, since I met Christ, I didn't have purpose, now I have pers- purpose. I felt broken and hopeless, and now I, I have hope, and now I am whole, and God is growing me. And yeah, so we, so we have this story now. And, and so every person in this room should be able to share their story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to share a 60-second story, and you should be able to s- share the full-length, you know, R-rated version of the story appropriately, right? You should be able To do that, some of you say, Well, I've always been saved, so I don't really have a story. Can we all just pump the brakes and everybody look up here real quick? You have not always been saved. You were not born a Christian because your parents were Christians or because grandma took you to church. You are not a Christian because you've showed up in church a time or two or you're here today. You are a follower of Jesus when you admit your guilt before God, you confess that you are a sinner, you turn away from that life of sin, and you trust by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you begin to follow him. Has that moment happened for you? If it has not, then we want to help you today. The Care and Prayer Room, our section leaders are here every single week because we're dedicated to helping you identify and understand what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you say, I've got a boring story. My story's boring. Nobody wants to hear that. I hear that all the time. I know what you mean by that. You mean that you, you know, came to know Christ at a young age and you, didn't, you weren't addicted to drugs and you haven't been married five times and all that kind of stuff. But can I tell you, any story that focuses on you or focuses on your sin is going to be boring. Any story that includes how Jesus saved and redeemed you is never boring because Jesus is not boring. So I don't care how old you were or what your life was like, don't ever say you don't have a story if you're a follower of Jesus and don't ever say your story is boring because Jesus is not boring. Every single one of us should be able to share our story. We good with that? That's going to be one of the challenges today that I want you to focus on. Everybody in the room should also be able to share a growth story. The reason why we share growth stories, how God is growing us, is to connect with people. Everybody has different needs. I want to share a personal growth story today. Many of you know that 10 months ago, my mother passed away from cancer. Our family's been dealing with that, trying to wrestle with that. Yesterday at 1030, my beautiful sister, Tracy, passed away with basically the same disease. And so I love Jesus and I feel like I'm growing. But I can tell you that I'm angry and upset. I'm frustrated and I'm confused. And I can tell you that I'm emotionally spent. And so I can tell you that for the next season, I, I may not have a lot emotionally to offer to you. You may not be able to get a meeting with me. You, I may not text you back because I just feel like in every area of my life right now, I am emotionally just psh, help. physically. I'm fine. I don't need physical rest. It's emotionally. I told our elders this a couple of weeks ago, and um. In this process, I feel like God is—he's I mean, teaching me a lot. And um, one of the things that I'm bad about is i, I tend to take on responsibilities. I—I I, I tend to—I tend to take on responsibilities that God hasn't made me responsible for. And so I take on other people's problems as if as if they're mine. And so it's almost like a weight uh, is on my shoulders, and God is just pounding in me like Trent. I'm God, not you. You, you. you can't fix things. Even though my heart is to fix things, I, I can't fix certain things. And, um, and so I'm trying to rely on that. I'm trying to say, this is, this is, I'm, I'm not responsible to do this. This is God. And so releasing that, and, and the only way I can do that is with my face on the floor in worship. And so I've had some good times. Um, And every time I put my face on the floor in worship, I feel like I stand up a different man, and uh, I got a long way to go. But as my pain increases, I I know that my worship has to be louder, and my worship has to increase. And so, man, I'm just struggling with that. And I don't want to, I'm not blaming God for this. And I'm not saying this because I need your sympathy. I'm just saying this because this is where I'm at. And we live in a world where sin is real. And when bad things happen, it's not necessarily because God is judging something. We we simply live in a broken, sinful world. and, And disease exists. And people die. Every single one of you in the room are going to be in that hospital bed at one point in your life. And in that moment, you will not care if your kids got a scholarship, how much money you made, how beautiful your house is, what kind of car you drive. You're going to care about the family that God gave you. And you're going to be thinking about eternity. think back to the beginning of of the sermon when I said there's probably some of you that don't really care what our strategy is. Some of you don't really care, you know, what the real goal of church life is. You're hurting and you wanted some answers today. What would it look like if somebody in this room who has faced the same exact thing that you are facing today took you out for coffee And you sat across the table with them, and they looked you in the eyes, and they said, here's my story, and here's what God did in my life. And through that story, you were encouraged, and you were changed. Think for a moment. You see, that's why it's important. That's why it matters. It matters for every single person in this room because you could be impacted. You need other people in your life. And those in the room need to be able to share your story to be able to bless other people and encourage other people in your life. This is why it matters. This is why we share our life. This is why we have to share our story. And then thirdly, if you're taking notes, it's why we have to share God's story. We have to share God's story. God's story is the gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, like there's gotta be a moment where you learn how to do this. We're here to help you do that. We actually, we put together a video to help train you in this. You can go to foothillschurch.com click on the 10 Sermon Series, and Pastor Todd teaches a lesson on what we call the three circles. It's an easy way uh, for you to think through and for you to be able to articulate the gospel to your kids, hello, to share the gospel with your kids, your coworker. You could draw it out on a napkin. You could learn how to share this, and in a moment's notice on an airplane, in a care-through prayer moment, in the halls of this church, you could share the gospel with someone and lead them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now you tell me, would that change some lives? If the 600 people in this room today said, yeah, I'll share my story, I'll share the gospel, we wouldn't just baptize 164 people, we'd baptize 2,664 people. I don't know, it'd be a lot more. Like if all of us together said, I'm going to do this. Like I want to share my life. I'm going to observe needs. I'm going to extend compassion. I'm going to share my story. And man, I want to share the gospel with someone. Whew! Think about the next 10 years of this church. If we just got those things right, if we got compassionate about that vision, I believe God would change our life. So here's the homework. Three things. If you're taking notes, man, I want you to do it. I'm going to ask you. Your small group leaders are going to ask you about it. Right? Here's, here's the challenge. Here's the homework. Number one, we want you to write your story. Everybody write your story. Some of you are going to go home and try to write your story. You're going to realize you don't have a story. We want to help you. We want you to, to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Go home and write your story so that you're ready to share it. Secondly, we want you to pay it backwards. One time this week, every single person in the room, pay it backwards, pay for somebody's coffee or meal behind you, give them the card, right? Just think, if the 2,000 people in our church did that over the next couple of weeks, think of the impact it's going to have on our community. People are going to start talking about it. Some of you are going to get your meal paid for, and you're going to be like, dang, that was sweet. Like, you got to keep it going, though. You can't just let it stop. And then thirdly, what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to think of one person, one person. Not everybody at the pool, the one person that God lays on your heart, the one person who is far from God or doesn't go to church, and I want you to start investing and inviting them to Easter. Write your story, pay it backwards, one person to invest in and invite to Easter. We're four weeks away from Easter. God's going to do amazing work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth and your word. Thank you for growing me. Lord, I'm thankful that you're not done with me. God, I'm thankful that those in the room today have hope in the gospel, that you're not done with them either. And Lord, if we can just get the following things right, we can be an army, an unstoppable army in this community, sharing love, sharing life, sharing our story, sharing God's story, and seeing thousands of people impacted by the truth of the gospel. Lord, I know you want to do it because the harvest field is plentiful. We're just waiting for workers. Send us, God. Send us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.